The Guardian. I order questions to the Prime Minister. Sir Alan Beath. Number one, yeah. Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Lance Corporal Jonathan McKinley from 1st Battalion, The Rifles, and Marine David Fairbrother from Kilo Company, 4-2 Commando, Royal Marines. They were both extremely committed and courageous servicemen who have given their lives in the service of our country. Our thoughts and deepest sympathies should be with their families, their friends and their colleagues. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Sir Alan Beath. Mr Speaker, the whole House will want to endorse the Prime Minister's words about our heroic service personnel and their families, but I think most of us would also want to see the earliest possible withdrawal of our combat troops from Afghanistan. But on another issue, what is the Prime Minister going to do about that group of women already in their late 50s who have seen their state pension age rise from 60 to 64 and now face a two-year further increase from 64 to 66. The Coalition had to reform the pension system and will be fairer to women, but this anomaly needs addressing. I think my right hon. Friend is, is right to identify that, of course, it's right to equalise men and women's state pension ages. That's been a long-term goal shared across the House of Commons. And I also think it's right to raise the retirement age to 66, as we've done. We know that there are a group of people, a large group of people, affected by this transition and some people having to potentially work for an extra two years. We are looking at what transitional help we can give to this group of people, and we'll be making an announcement shortly. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Lance Corporal Jonathan McKinley from 1st Battalion, The Rifles, and Marine David Fairbrother from Kilo Company, 4-2 Commando, Royal Marines. These were exceptionally courageous men who died serving their country, and our deepest condolences go to their family and friends. Mr Speaker, a year ago during our exchanges, the Prime Minister justified his economic policy by saying unemployment would fall this year, next year and the year after. Given that unemployment has risen by 114,000 today, isn't it time he admitted his plan isn't working? Prime Minister. First of all, these are very disappointing figures that have been announced today. And every job that is lost is a tragedy for that person and for their family. And that is why this government is going to do everything it possibly can to help get people into work. That is why we have the work programme, which is the biggest back-to-work programme since the 1930s, that's going to help two and a half million people. That is why we have welfare reform, to make sure it pays for people always to be in work. That is why we're reforming our schools, including raising the participation age to 18, so we end the scandal of 16 and 17 year olds left on the dole and that is why we have a record number of apprenticeships 360,000 this year but I accept we've got to do more to get our economy moving to get jobs for our people but we mustn't abandon the plan that has given us record low interest rates Mr Speaker, the same script month after month is not working. Doesn't he realise today's figures show it isn't working? And it's his failure. That means today in Britain we have nearly one million young people out of work. Why doesn't he accept some responsibility for doing something about it? 
accept responsibility for everything that happens in our economy. I just sometimes wish that people who are in government for 13 years would accept some responsibility for the mess they made. What this government is pledged to do is everything we can to get our economy moving. That is why we've cut petrol tax, why we've cut corporation tax, why we're reforming the planning system, why we introduced the regional growth fund, why we're forcing the banks to lend money, why we've created 22 enterprise zones. But let me say this to him, because I know what he wants. He wants us to change course on reducing our deficit. If we change course on reducing our deficit, we'd end up with interest rates like Portugal, like Spain, like Italy, like Greece, and we'd send our economy into a tailspin. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, I want him to change course so he has a credible plan to get people back to work in this country. You see, what the, what, what the Prime Minister... What the Prime Minister doesn't seem to understand is that month after month, as unemployment goes up, the number of people claiming benefit goes up, the costs go up, and fewer people are in work and paying taxes. To have a credible plan on the deficit, you need a credible plan for growth, and he doesn't have one. Now, it's not just young people who are suffering, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister tell us when was the last time that unemployment among women reached the levels it has today? Prime Minister. First of all, he's wrong on his figures. There are 50,000 more women in work than there were at the time of the election. There are actually 239,000 more people in work at the time of the election. There are half a million more credible, more, more um, private sector jobs. But he specifically asks about a credible growth plan. I would ask, where is his credible growth plan? Why is it? Why is it that the former Chancellor of the Exchequer said this? If you don't have a credible economic plan, you're simply not at the races. Why is it... Order. Whatever people think of what is being said on either side of the House, they must not shout their heads off. The Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition will be heard, and that's the end of it. The Prime Minister. The, the fact is, our plan is supported by the CBI, by the IOD, by the business organisations, by the IMF, by the OECD. He cannot even get support from his own former cabinet ministers. The former Home Secretary says this, I think the economic proposition that Labour puts at the moment is unconvincing. If he can't convince his own party, how can he convince the country? Speaker, and the Conservative chair of his select committee says his policies on growth are inconsistent and incoherent. He obviously, he obviously can't convince him, can he? And of course, typically, he didn't answer the question on women's unemployment. So let me, so let me tell him, women's unemployment is at its highest level since 1988. Since 1988, the last time there was a Conservative government in power. And, and Mr Speaker, I have to say, instead of apologising four months late to my right honourable friend for saying, calm down, dear, he should be apologising to the women of this country for what he's doing to our economy. Now, now let me ask him another question, which maybe this time he'll answer. Last year, in his budget, the Chancellor announced a flagship policy on growth. He said the national insurance holiday for start-up firms would help 400,000 businesses. Can the Prime Minister tell, tell this House how many businesses have actually taken part? 7,000. <laughs> right. And on the issue, and on the issue, and on the issue of women in work, of course, of course, 
Of course I want to see more women in work, and there are 50,000 more women in work than at the time of the last election. But it's this government that has introduced free childcare for all vulnerable two-year-olds, that it's extended the childcare for three- and four-year-olds, that has increased the child tax credit by £290, and that for the first time has announced that we will be giving childcare to all people working less than 16 hours, helping thousands, hundreds of thousands of women and families out of poverty, into work and into a better life. That is what we're doing. But the question he's got to address is the big picture, which is this. He can't convince the former Home Secretary, the former Trade Minister, the former Chancellor that he's got any idea of what to do with the economy. And the reason why is if we adopted his plan, we wouldn't be working with the IMF to sort out the Eurozone. We'd be going to the IMF to ask for a loan. Mr Speaker, in case he hadn't realised, when the Chancellor says 400,000 firms will benefit and only 7,000 are, it should tell him something. It should tell him... It, it, it should tell him his policies aren't working. That policy's not working. His plan isn't working. Why doesn't he, just for once, agree with us, cut VAT and put more money into people's pockets? construction industry get moving and invest in getting young people back to work by having a banker's bonus tax. When, when is the party opposite going to learn you cannot borrow your way out of a debt crisis? They left us, they left us the biggest deficit, the most leveraged banks, the most indebted households and what is their answer? To borrow more money. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that the former Trade Minister, Digby Jones, said this? He described the Labour leader's speech at the conference as a divisive and a kick in the teeth for the only sector that generates wealth and pays the tax and creates the, the jobs this country needs. That is what a Labour minister said about a Labour policy, and that's why he has no credibility whatsoever. Mr Speaker, what a terrible answer. And yet... On. I will take on those companies in this country who aren't doing the right thing, like the energy companies, and we're seeing change today in the energy sector because of what I said. Now, now let me just say to him. Now, now, now let me just. Now, now let me just. Let me just. Let me just say to him. Let me just say to him. On the day. On the day of the worst. On, on the day of the worst. On the day of the worst unemployment figures, on the day of the worst unemployment figures in 17 years, the Prime Minister is fighting to save the job of the Defence Secretary, but he's doing nothing to save the jobs of hundreds of thousands of people up and down this country. It's one rule if you're in the Cabinet, it's another rule for everyone else. Well, the last Labour leader thought he saved the world. I think after that, I think this Labour leader is Walter Mitty. And that really is... What they have got to do is accept some responsibility for the mess that you made of this economy. You are the party that borrowed too much, that spent too much, that left us with the unregulated banks, that has left us with the mess that we have to clear up. And when you see those two sitting on the front bench who worked for so long in the Treasury, you have to ask yourself, you wouldn't bring back Fred Goodwin to sort out the banks. Why would you bring them back to sort out the economy? will want to hear Sir Peter Tapsell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has um, 
my right honourable friend happened to notice that uh, since I put the point to him last month, the head of our serious fraud squad, Mr Richard Alderman, has publicly deplored the fact that no senior British bankers have been prosecuted for their irresponsibility and has urged that legislation should be introduced as soon as possible to empower his office to prosecute such offenders in the future. Here, here. Prime Minister. Well, I think it is important that inquiries are conducted into what went wrong at RBS and HBOS because clearly we're left clearing up a mess that the irresponsibility of others has left. So if there's room for criminal prosecutions, of course there should be. But our responsibility as well is to make sure we regulate the banks and the financial industry properly in future. And that is why we put the Bank of England back at the heart of this job. Nia Griffith. Uh, Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister publish a full list of all the ministers and Downing Street staff who since May 2010 have met Mr Adam Werity in either official or a social capacity, including whether he himself as Prime Minister has met him? Prime Minister, uh, I'm very happy to look at that. Lorraine Fulbrook. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you. Order. Lorraine Fulbrook. Honourable friend, the Prime Minister, agree that in light of difficult times encountered by some of my constituents in South Ribble working for BAE, it is even more um, important that this government continue its excellent support for exports, for continued investment in the development of Typhoon and in new unmanned aerial systems vehicles. Prime Minister. I absolutely agree with the Honourable Lady. Obviously, the position at BAE has been of concern, and that's why we've immediately put in place plans for an enterprise zone on both sides of the Pennines to help with that very important business. BAE is a great British company. There's a huge forward order book for it, not least from our defence budget, where we're investing in typhoons, investing in aircraft carriers, investing in unmanned aerial drones. I will do everything I can to support that company, including promoting its exports abroad, where I've had conversations with the Japanese, soon be talking to Saudi Arabians and others about all we can do to make sure this great British company goes on being a great British success. Mr Andy Slaughter. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Imperial Healthcare Trust, which offers outstanding clinical care and research in three major hospitals in West London, is being forced to make 5% per annum cuts for five years. That's 25% of its £900 million a year budget. How does that fulfil the Prime Minister's promise not to cut health services, health services to my constituents? Prime Minister. We are increasing NHS spending throughout this Parliament. And I have to say, that is a complete contrast to the party opposite's policy. They now have a new health spokesman. I was worried I wouldn't have the same quantity of quotes for the new health spokesman. But I can tell you, Mr Speaker, he hasn't disappointed. This is the new health spokesman. He said this, very clear, very plain, it is irresponsible to increase NHS spending in real terms. That is Labour's position, that it's irresponsible to increase health spending. We disagree. James Morris. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Too many children in Britain today live in families that don't provide them with the loving and stable environment that they deserve. And that's led to many of our most pressing social problems. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that we need to do, this government needs to do all it can to help some of Britain's most problem families? 
I completely agree with my honourable friend. If you look at the evidence, some of the most troubled families in our country, they get a huge amount of interventions from the police, from social services, from education and the rest of it. But no one is really getting in there to help turn those families around, to change what those families do to give them a better chance. So we are establishing a new unit under the leadership of Louise Casey, who I think has been a superb official uh, over the last decade, and we're going to be putting huge resources into turning around the tr most 120,000 most troubled families in our country. I think we can make a huge difference for those families, and we can also actually reduce the burden that they place on the taxpayer at the same time. Mr Dennis McShane. <coughs> Will the Prime Minister instruct our Ambassador in Kiev to make representations on behalf of the Government and Parliament about the appalling show trial and prison sentence handed down on Yulia Tymoshenko, the former Prime Minister? Prime Ministers do make mistakes uh, and uh, do lose elections, as she did. But she's been put on trial for policy decisions she took. And will he make clear that the Ukraine, and I'm glad the Foreign Secretary is briefing him, will, will not be able to open membership talks with the EU, and any hopes of liberalising visa access will go out of the window because of this disgraceful Stalinist show trial incentive? We completely agree that the treatment of Mrs Timoshenko, who I've, I've met and, uh, on previous occasions, is absolutely disgraceful. The Foreign Secretary has made a very strong statement about this. The Ukrainians need to know that if they uh, leave situ the situation as it is, this will severely affect their relationship, not only with the UK, but also with the European Union and NATO. Richard Fuller. Mr Speaker, small business, not more government debt, is key to job creation. And yeah. entrepreneurship a noble endeavour. So would the Prime Minister join me in welcoming the support from Bedfordshire University, Cranfield University, Coleworth Science Park, Bedfordshire on Sunday newspaper and a hundred business leaders in my constituency to set up an investment fund and mentoring scheme to support early stage businesses in Bedford and will he ask his minister to work with me to see if this could be replicated in other towns across the country? I pay tribute to what my honourable friend is doing in Bedford. This government recognises that it's going to be small businesses that will provide the growth and the jobs and the wealth this country needs. That is why we have an agreement with the banks to increase lending to small businesses. That's why we're providing extra rate relief to small businesses. It's why we're giving the smallest businesses a holiday from new regulation, why we've got the one-in-one-out rule for new regulation, and I applaud all efforts at a local level to give small businesses the mentoring, help and support they need to grow. Andrew Miller. Mr Speaker, responding to the Science Select Committee's report on forensic science, a Home Office Minister says we don't agree with the Committee's report. It misstates a number of very significant points. Given that the Home Office was financial case was 50% adrift, and they have now agreed with our argument that the National Archive should be protected, will the Prime Minister urgently intervene and review the decision to close the FSS, because the profession is now losing key scientific staff from the country and from the profession. Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, I will certainly look at what the Honourable Gentleman says, but I have to say I looked at this decision at the time in some detail, having known uh, well the Forensic Science Service when I worked in the Home Office many years ago, ago, and I have to say the evidence was pretty overwhelming that actually the model wasn't working and change was needed. That is what's happened, and sometimes it's better to make that change rather than endlessly review it. Mark Spencer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister inherited a welfare system where families are able to claim £2,000 a week in housing.
housing benefit and where some families are, wor- are worse off working than those who are on benefits. What can the Prime Minister do to, to help those hard-working families in Sherwood who, frankly, get out of bed, work hard because of their self-pride and their responsibility? I think the Honourable Gentleman speaks for millions in the country when he says what people want is a welfare system that helps people who actually want to put in and work hard and do the right thing. What we're doing is, first of all, putting in place a cap so that you can't have these absurd amounts of money going in housing benefit to individual families, as he says, sometimes £2,000 a week. Secondly, universal credit is going to make sure it is always worthwhile people working and always worthwhile working a little harder. And to the party opposite that now claim, after a decade of giving people something for nothing, let's see whether they're prepared to back that by voting for tough caps in the welfare bill. Hatch glass. If a minister breaks the ministerial code, should he or she keep their job? The ministerial code is very clear that in the end it is for the Prime Minister to decide whether someone keeps their job or not. In the case of the Defence Secretary, I think it's very important when the Leader of the Opposition has called for an inquiry by the Cabinet Secretary, when I've established an inquiry by the Cabinet Secretary, let us allow the Cabinet Secretary to do his work, to establish the facts, then a decision can be made. But let me be clear, I think the Defence Secretary has done an excellent job clearing up the complete mess that he was left by Labour. Mr Alan Reid. Mr Speaker, retirement ages have to go up, but the timetable in the pensions bill is too fast for many women. I was pleased to hear the Prime Minister say earlier that he was looking at transitional arrangements, and I would hope that those transitional arrangements will result in a significant slowing down of the increase in retirement age for many women. Prime Minister. Well, as I said, we've looked at this issue very carefully. We will be making an announcement uh, shortly. I think that we have to look at the the most difficult cases where people have quite an extra amount of working time they would have to do. But clearly it is right, and one must must look at the big picture, to equalise men and women's pension arrangements and to move to 66, given the extra longevity uh, that we enjoy as a country. And I think given that, I, I hope that he'll be pleased when the announcement is made. Mr Keith Vaz. Both the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition are on record in supporting gender equality for future royal successions. Will the Prime Minister update the House on the consultation that he and the Deputy Prime Minister are having with other Commonwealth leaders about this issue? Does he not agree that it's better that we resolve this matter before rather than after any future royal children are born? Um, I I certainly believe that this issue should be sorted out. I'm on the record uh, as believing that, and I'm sure across the House there'd be widespread support for that. In terms of the consultation, what I've done is I've written to the heads of state, uh, the the prime ministers of the other realms concerned. We will be having a meeting about this at the Commonwealth Heads of Government uh, Conference. It isn't an easy issue to sort. Uh, For many of them, there may be issues and worries about starting a parliamentary or other legal process, but I'm very clear it's an issue that we ought to get sorted sorted and I'd be delighted to play a part in doing that. Esther McVeigh. Thank you Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with the recent advice from the Shadow Treasury Minister who said what we must not do and what we cannot do is pick good winners and losers and to conceive of such a simplistic sinners and winners model shows a distinct misunderstanding of business? I think the Honourable Lady makes an important point. The greatest need in our economy right now is to generate wealth and jobs and investment. What was it Labour did at their conference? Just launch
launch a big attack on British business, which is going to be what's going to help us out of these difficulties. Mr Alan Michael. Uh, Mr Speaker, was the Prime Minister aware before today that his chief spokeswoman was a former colleague of Mr Adam Werity? As I say, this whole issue is being looked at by the Cabinet Secretary. He will produce his report. I would ask people to have a little patience, let the facts be established, let the questions be answered, and then we can move ahead. Mr Nick Dubois. Is, the, is my right honourable friend aware that nearly 40 members of, from this side of the House have signed uh, an amendment in my name requiring that all offenders convicted of using a knife in a threatening or endangering fashion will receive a custodial sentence and not just those over 18? And will he consider supporting this amendment? Well, I will certainly look closely at what my honourable friend says, and I know that the Justice Secretary is doing this too. We do want to move ahead with the mandatory sentence for adults, and we'll look very carefully at the arguments my honourable friend makes. Mr Kelvin Hopkins. The, uh, Sir John Major said four days ago that uh, the government should use the euro crisis as, as a, 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 an opportunity to loosen EU powers over Britain. And his first priority was the common fisheries policy. When is the Prime Minister going to take Sir John's advice and tell the European Union that Britain intends to withdraw from the common fisheries policy? I, I always listen very carefully to Sir John's advice, and he gives me some excellent advice. I think in the short term, what Britain desperately needs to do is get behind the solution to the Eurozone crisis, because frankly, it is having a chilling effect on the whole of the European economy and on the American economy as well. That is the first priority. I do accept that at the same time as doing that, it's going to be important to get some safeguards for Britain as Eurozone countries go ahead and sort out their problems. We need safeguards to make sure the single market goes on working for the United Kingdom. Mr Simon Hart. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Last weekend, B&Q opened a new store in Pembroke Dock, creating 25 jobs. Uh, Ledwood Engineering ad advertised 25 new jobs in the town, and Job Centre Plus in Pembroke Dock have got 249 jobs on offer. Does the Prime Minister agree that there would be further good news uh, if the banks honoured their pledge to uh, commit to credit flow, and would he keep the pressure on and encourage businesses in Wales to, to, to advertise even more jobs? We, we will certainly keep the pressure on the banks. I mean, it is worth making the point that in spite of the difficulties, there are half a million new private sector jobs in our economy compared with uh, the time of the election. But we need all of the things that help businesses to expand and grow to be in place, and bank finance is just one of those things. We have the Merlin Agreement, which is increasing the lending to small businesses. We also have what the Chancellor has said about credit easing to make sure we look at other ways of expanding credit in our economy. Jonathan Ashworth. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. This week I had the privilege of meeting Hafsa Ali and Joseph Hyatt from the Ready for Work campaign, impressive young people campaigning against rising youth unemployment. Can the Prime Minister tell us what has happened to his vow from earlier this year to reverse the trend in rising youth unemployment? And can he also tell the House when he last met a young unemployed person? What has been happening to youth unemployment is it's been actually been going up since 2004. It went up in the growth years as well as in the difficult years. And what we need is a comprehensive strategy that deals with all of the problems of youth unemployment, including the fact that there are too many people leaving school aged 16 who frankly spent 13 years under a Labour Education Secretary. So they need to take some responsibility for this, who left school without qualifications to help get them a job. So it's about making sure 
sure we have better education, a welfare system that helps people into work, and a work programme that actually doesn't provide phony jobs, as the Future Jobs Fund did, but provides real work for real, real young people. Uh, Henry Smith. Mr Speaker, a recent Taxpayers Alliance report revealed... at over £100,000 each, including, including Derek Simpson of Unite, who received over half a million pounds. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it's time for union boss pay restraints? Yeah. That's the uh, interesting thing. They always listen to the trade unions, but they'll never listen to the Taxpayers' Alliance. And one of the reasons, they don't want to hear about excessive pay in the public sector or in local government or in their paymasters, the trade unions. Yeah. Mr. Steve Rotherham. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Here's another question that the Prime Minister won't want to answer. Um, can he get a grip of his backbenchers following last night's debacle in this chamber relating to the business of the House on the 17th of October? Does he understand that the perception out there in the real world is that some MPs would rather talk about their own pensions instead of discussing a 22-year-old injustice and the deaths of 96 men, women and children. Let me answer him directly. We are going to protect the time for that absolutely vital debate. I think on the issue of MPs' pensions, I think it's very clear we have to show restraint at a time when the rest of the public sector is being asked to show restraint. So because of what happened last night, there will have to be a debate, but it won't ease into the time for the very important debate that he mentioned that I know many members care deeply about. Mr Christopher Pincher. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can my rise on more friend tell the House what action he is taking to reintroduce rigour into our education system? and end the ridiculous situation under the last government when 22% of students studied proper academic studies. Well, I think the Education Secretary is doing a superb job at focusing schools on the results, including English and maths, at making sure we look at the English baccalaureate, which includes the core subjects that employers and colleges really value, and then doing some simple and straightforward things that weren't done for 13 years, like making sure that punctuation and grammar actually count when you do an exam. Yeah. Margaret Ritchie. Considering that the Prime Minister met with the Fanukan family yesterday, will he now reflect on the comments made by Antisha in relation to that particular meeting and the outcomes and the agreements made at the Western Park talks in 2001 that by both governments that there should be an independent public inquiry? Of course, I've reflected incredibly carefully on what was said yesterday, and I've reflected on this whole uh, issue for many months since becoming Prime Minister. And I profoundly believe that the right thing for the Fanukan family, for Northern Ireland, for everyone in the United Kingdom, is not to have another costly and open-ended public inquiry, which may not find the answer, but instead for the British government to do the really important thing, which is to open up and tell the truth about what happened 22 years ago. We don't need an inquiry to do that. That's why. My right honourable friend, the Northern Ireland Secretary, will be making a statement explaining exactly how we're going to do this, who will be involved. In the end, the greatest healer is the truth, frank acknowledgement of what went wrong, an apology for what happened. That's what's required. Let's not have another Savile process to get there. Let's get there more quickly and do the right thing. Mr. Lee Scott. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will my right honourable friend join me in welcoming the news that it seems that Gilad Shalit will be released in the next few days? And this could well go a long way for peace in the area. Yeah. Yeah.
Well, I'm very grateful to my honourable friend for raising this case. I think if anyone reflects on what that young soldier has been through for those weeks, months, years, it is just something that I think anyone in this House would find difficult to contemplate. And if it is the case that he's going to be coming home soon, I wish him, his family and everyone in Israel well. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.